What made you decide to choose the whole lease option strategy? Where did you see the benefits and the opportunity in that strategy? Generally, the ROI for a lease option is managing expectations on the tenant buyer side. So for the most part, most tenant buyers have not really gone through the home buying process before, right? So they come in with a very high expectation of, okay, for our joint ventures we've worked with the great thing for them is it's a great way to start getting high cash flow to help start replacing your income or it's a great way to joining us today we have nicholas and olivia nicholas olivia welcome to building wealth through real estate where we discuss all things real estate investing in canada i want to thank you guys for coming on to the show today thank yeah so thanks for having us so I, I want to dive right into it. You guys, you guys are pretty inspiring. I know the backstory. And if you guys want to just touch on, touch on your story, but please feel free to do that. But if you guys could share what inspired you guys to choose lease options or more popularly known as the rent to own model as your investment strategy. Yeah, that, that's a very good question. So I think there are two things that um, inspired my, myself and my partner, Olivia, to focus on the lease option. The first is the fact that um, we personally love the idea of, we are two individuals that believe in two things, continuous growth and impact. And impact was one thing that resonated very well when it came to lease option because we found ourselves with the education we had leveraged through uh, the financial institution we, we got our education from. We found that with that knowledge, we were able to make positive lifelong impacts on people's lives. So that really made us really fall in love with that strategy and really want to hone in on it to make it more accessible to a lot of people out there. So that's the first thing. Then, then the second thing would be the fact that we, we understand the major thing right now that really puts people in that space of wanting to have that lease option is for financial education, right? So we pride ourselves in the fact that when we have potential clients to work with, we are not just looking to bring them on to just get them to buy a home. We're also looking to get them to understand the reason why they should be more financially responsible and more financially aware so that such things or such financial crisis would not repeat itself in the near future. So it's more of giving back to people and giving them back things that would also provide them with the room to grow and be, be impactful in their lives. So those are the two things. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, so essentially we could say a, a superman and a superwoman just trying to help people <laughs> out with their financial education, one family at a time, eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I love that, guys. Honestly, I do, because I, I feel like if, if your your intentions and your why is deeper than just the monetary side of things, um, you end up going a lot further, right? Um, you end up pushing beyond those pain and those sticking points. So, and from, from an investing standpoint, what was what did you guys see the benefits to this process above above others? What what made you? Because I mean, obviously, there's a lot of now. I I get it from the homeowner standpoint and 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 the financial education side and and helping families get into homes. Um, I get that. I get that aspect. Some people choose just to go the standard rental route, you know, and help people on 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 that side. You guys are actually helping people get into owning homes as well. So I get the value add there. 
but for your own personal side and, and for the investors that have partnered up with you, what made you decide to choose like the whole lease option strategy? Is it market conditions? Is it, you know, wh wh where, where did you see the benefits and the opportunity in that strategy? Yeah, so for lease options, I guess for us, one of the major things that we love about lease option is it's not as high of a risk of an investment and it's a high reward. So generally the ROI for a lease option is relatively high compared to other investments and good monthly cash flow as well yeah. throughout the course of the program, as well as at the end, when the tenant buyer buys the house back, you, you normally get a chunk of money then as well. So for our joint ventures we've worked with, the great thing for them is if it's a great way to either start getting high cash flow to help start replacing your income, or it's a great way to enter into investing if you're newer to it because it's it doesn't offer as much risk as a as a larger scale project but even if you have larger scale projects it's still a great way to start making some high cash flow um and generally you don't need to put that much money into the deal either i yeah i agree you know like while you're saying all that there's like so many benefits just popping up in my head and i'm like i could just like list them off mm -hmm. right now but then um you know what would incentivize people to listen to the rest of the show <laughs> just kidding yeah. uh, but no there's a there's a there's a lot though you know there's a lot a lot of benefits to it and and both sides it's yeah. it's one of those typical win 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 strategies for everyone involved you know it's for for the tenant buyer helping them actually get into home ownership for the investors mm -hmm. and as well as for yourselves right it, it's a strategy that provides a, a a bigger spread so in the current market conditions where we end with higher interest rates it actually it, it helps counter that in a market where mm -hmm. a lot of properties just aren't cash flowing as a standard rental property with okay. with interest rates it's one of the rare strategies that you can actually still make work in these current market conditions okay. and then it's um it's not a long it's not a long turnover time as well for investors to get their to get yes. their capital back um but i like the fact yeah, that cause exactly. there's there's definitely a an ethical way about pursuing the strategy and i like the fact that that you guys are pursuing this from an ethical manner and you're trying to educate the tenant buyers and get them into the home ownership versus just trying to get a tenant buyer with with no mm -hmm. regard for whether they actually end up seeing this through or not right i love that guys i love that what are some key considerations for investors, you know, evaluating a rent-to-own property? What are you guys looking at when you evaluate a rent-to-own property? Is it from the, from the tenant buyer side of things or from the JV partner side of things? Well, well, what I find is there's like, you know, you know, if you had a diagram, you'd have like a circle and a circle and like you'd have three circles and you have to find mm -hmm. that way it overlaps for everyone. So there's like this mm -hmm. unique scope that you're kind of looking through on whether a property exactly. would work for everyone. If you could just touch okay. on that, like, because it's a little more complex than just buying a rental property, does it cash flow, you know, that sort of thing. Like there's, there's a lot yes. more to it and you have to consider everyone in the deal to ensure that it's a win-win for mm -hmm. everyone, right? Exactly. That's, that's a very good a question. complex question. So, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for breaking it down. It made it more, more easy to answer. So with regards to the things we actually look out for. Now, one of the major things is like every normal investment, there's always risk associated with it. So when we go into any lease option deal, we always go in with the mindset of, okay, if this goes wrong, what are the exit strategies we look out for? Now, those exit strategies are the certain things that determine the kind of property, the location of the property that we're actually going to look to buy for the tenant buyer. So for example, 
The first thing is we always try to have at least three exit strategies for every lease option deal we work with. So the, the first one most of the time is always long-term rentals. If probably the, the tenant buyer walks away, we want to make sure we have a property in a location that demands or controls a high amount of rental inflow and outflow. That's one. Then secondly, when we choose a property, we want to make sure that property is in the prime location. And by prime location, we always want to work with properties that are close to amenities that are actually favorable to single family dwellers in the real sense. Now, once we have that property in a good location, it just means, okay, if the tenant buyer walks away, okay, we have a market or we have that community that can actually decide to probably rent or probably choose to buy the property from us. So, and that leads us to the third option, which is the traditional sell, which is just to sell the property, put it back on the market and just to the property. So long-term rentals, um, sell the property, then the third one will be Airbnb. So that's something that we also always want to look at in terms of is it close to um, places that we find that the 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 this there's a there's a tool we use called ADNA that gives a score rating on um, properties in terms of the vacancy rate. So we try to see the vacancy rates of such property in that location and if it's good okay then we know that's a, that's a good thing to look out for then i think that that covers the major things to look out for when we're looking out for the, the property itself then just to, to give a little segue when we're dealing with the, the tenant buyers themselves we always want to make sure we're dealing with people that are completely coachable because if we are dealing with um, hard-headed people it's going to be a dead deal on arrival, right? So we also make sure what with people that we can always align on certain things and they seem like people that are willing to change their current situation because when they get into the program, it's more like we always call it like a contractual marriage, right? So yeah. we have all partners have to bring all the, put all their efforts on the same page. So we always make sure we work with people that are coachable and people that we can work with. I love that. I love that. And without getting too much off, off topic is, do you guys find that you, of course, you guys, when, when you're looking for tenant buyers, you funneling them down, right? Like from the applicants mm -hmm. that actually show interest to the ones that end up qualifying, it's, there's a vast difference. Now, do you, do you find those that are sort of in between that are almost there? You sort of, you have processes or systems in place to try and coach them to get in beyond that point so that they can then actually qualify. And then, you know, firstly that they're coachable. So they're more than likely going to be a good tenant buyer long-term and, and sort of take it from there. Do you have those systems in place? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So yeah, we do have that system in place. So what we do is we have more like a, it's a, we have a nurture campaign in our CRM that we make use of. So when we identify those kind of people, we put them into the, the nurture program. And that program is basically to literally educate them more and get to, because we understand that a couple of people have been thinking a certain way for years of their life. So getting to change that in the, in the, in the spirit of a second, it's always tough and we understand that. So we always try to approach it from a much more friendlier and much more slower pace because different people operate under different rules and regulations. So we always try to make people halfway when the need arises. So yes, we have that nurture campaign that puts people in that pipeline of, okay, we need to touch base with this person once in a while, see how they're going, try to break their thought process gradually. And for the most part, 
see how it plays out throughout the modular process. I love that. I love that. And you know, I am a big systems guy myself. I love creating systems. Now, I'm actually intrigued. Between the two of you guys, I know, I know one of the, the biggest things, especially when working together as a couple as well, is role specialization, right? This is what you do. This is what I do. How does that look like for you guys? How, <laughs> how did you guys evolve to like, this is, this is my section of the business and this is your section of the business and then, and the overlap, of course. How does that look like for the two of you? Yeah, so I would say when we first started uh, doing lease option, it was we had roles that we both naturally fell into and then we were overlapping. So there'd be a lot of time that we would, I would say, waste more time because we would be going over the same things. One person would do one thing and the other would do the next. So we've taken time to really narrow down our roles since. I went to school for marketing. I worked at doing marketing for a few years. So I naturally started doing the marketing to bring in the tenant buyers. Nicholas loves sales. He's been doing sales for years. So he naturally gravitated towards working more with the tenant buyers and following up with them and things like that. Then for everything else in between, um, we've, it's like, there's a lot of little things that we've just taken the time to separate and we make sure that our processes are so one person can run and the other person can run at the same time and we don't have to be handing it off back and forth as much. Just, yeah, just, just to buttress on her point, so it's more like uh, a baton system. So she starts the race for the most part. <laughs> so once she's done with her part, she passes the baton over to me and I try my best to run to the finish line. And at any point, if I, I need her help, I'll always, okay, I need your help on this one because clients vary from person to person. Sometimes we, we speak with couples, sometimes we speak with singles, sometimes we speak with um, people that are recently divorced. So depending on the situation, we always try to work together or work separately mm -hmm. for the most part. But yeah, it's, it's more of a race. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it comes yeah. to the finish line, we, we both have to cross the finish line together because when it time, it's time to close on a property, that's when <laughs> really it's very, very busy. That's when a lot of stuff happens. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I love that because there's, there's, you know, there's like the whole lead generation side and then there's like the nurture side and then there's the conversion side. Right. So mm -hmm. Olivia handles the generation side, Nicholas handles the nurture mm -hmm. side, and then you both handle the conversion and just see yeah, it over. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I love that. I love that guys. Now I know I brushed over this, but just going, going back to the, the criteria, I, I love the way you, you broke that down, by the way, that like perfect trifecta. Because um, you need to be prepared for what if this happens? What if that happens? Worst case scenarios, right? You plan for the best. I mean, you hope for the best, but you plan for the worst as well, right? And um, absolutely, if, if it doesn't work out with the tenant buyer and market conditions aren't where you expected them to be, can you hold it and still be profitable? And if you can't do that on a long-term rental basis, then ideally on a short-term rental basis. And if neither of those, or if, if, those, if those are the options, but your, your investors want to rather liquidate and get their funds back and maybe move on to the next investment, then ideally the property has appreciated over time. So I like, I like that strategy. And that's, that's honestly the same lens and the same scope that I look for properties with, um, with investors that I work with on the lease option side. Honestly, it's one of my favorite strategies when it comes to even sourcing properties. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I love that. And I, I love the way you guys have your, your specific roles. Now, tell me for, for 
perhaps like newer investors looking to get into into the specific strategy could you highlight any misconceptions about the rent to own perhaps misconceptions you had or just common misconceptions that you see other people have about the whole lease option space okay that uh, misconceptions that investors would have not tenant buyers correct investors yeah <laughs> not tenant. i'm yeah. i'm sure tenant buyers have a ton of <laughs> misconceptions uh, <laughs> one one common one that i hear from a lot of the investors that i help on the rental own side is where they think that it's actually just a, a rental property as well so like within within mm -hmm. those they're not even tenant buyers they're actually just tenants just looking for rental properties out of their their, their system but yeah any any mm -hmm. any misconceptions on the investor side people considering like is this a strategy for me to actively be pursuing myself kind of thing so for for the for, from the investor point of view, most investors that we always speak with, like or new investors that are looking to get into this option, they often tend to think they would have some level of involvement when it comes to the maintenance of the property or when it comes to looking after the property. So one of the main things I would say is the major advantage of rent on is it's a very low maintenance investment strategy in the sense that when we get the tenant buyer on board, we always try to educate them and we also make it contractual that they understand this is more like a home ownership training program. So we actually want to educate you on how you should be looking out for your future home right now. So that takes off a chunk of maintenance, takes a chunk of um, repairs or random calls, takes that off the plate right off the gate, right? So it gives both ourselves and the daily partners no need to worry about anything because if anything goes wrong with the property, the tenant buyers are already aware that they need to step up because it is their home yeah. and they should act mm -hmm. like homeowners. So that's all misconception. Then I would say the second misconception I would say is for the most part, most new investors really think lease options don't give high cash flow for the most part. They often say that's okay, maybe they're looking at a couple of $100 or 150 200 But for the most part, all the, the rent owners we've closed, we have the minimum we've had is $400 and at least $400 plus every month in cash flow. So that conception of okay, it's not really high flowing, it's not really always the case. Because for ourselves, we always try to make sure that our, our, our potential investors are getting two things. They're getting a good return on their money, one, and also they're getting a good chunk of cash flow every month. And mm -hmm. the two things we always make sure every investor we work with leave the deal with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're generally like another thing too is thinking that, say, you have to put in we just had one that was like 40, 46,000 down. And the, another misconception would be that that's money's gone throughout the whole program, but that's not the case. Like with this one, as soon as we closed, they got 26,000 back. So then you're not left with a lot of money in the deal. So that allows you to not have a huge chunk of money out of your pocket while you're still getting that, that good cash flow, the good ROI. So it, it's, it's a great, yeah, it's a great strategy. <laughs> Love, I love the misconceptions that you guys highlighted. Like for one, and I di we didn't even really dive into this. You guys are investing in other provinces, right? So it, it just shows that it, it is a lot more hands off that you can do this 
um, from a distance yeah, as well. Do you just want to touch on, on, on some of the projects that you have going to some of the provinces and, and locations that you are investing in? And where you located, by the way, we, didn't even, we honestly didn't even touch on you guys at all. So if you want to just give a little bit of background, please, by all means, go ahead. Okay, so right now we're located in St. John, New Brunswick, and we are fully running our rent-to-own business completely remotely throughout Canada. So right now, for a start, we are focusing on Alberta province to get started and firm up the process and all whatnot. So we would say with the we have lease options in Edmonton right now and also in Red Deer. And we have a couple of prospective tenant buyers in the pipeline, but majority of the time they're always surrounded in either Edmonton or the summer markets. Mm-hmm. So now with regards to the second part of the question, we we, we decided to actually do this remotely because we we, we, we do love traveling. And we also want to embrace the idea of remote work because being able to leverage the, the expertise, the, the knowledge, and uh, the, the physical presence of other professionals like yourself in the industry, that makes the most sense for us. So that's why we, we, we started this business right out the gate, wanting to do it fully remote so that it gives us that freedom to be able to yeah. do the things we like and um, just basically enjoy the process from a distance. Tax write-offs, right, for your vacation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, 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 I think it's, it's good that you can do it from a distance because you can, you can handpick markets that best work for this as well. You can also help tenant buyers throughout Canada, right? So where you get a tenant buyer, if their market does support the strategy, it's like, I can go ahead and help you, not just limited to a specific geographic location, which mm-hmm. I really like. And like, like you highlighted, it's a lot more hands-off than like a standard rental property, right? They have to, they take, they're taking care of their property essentially. So I love the, I love the misconceptions that you guys both highlighted. One, one thing that I want to ask though is, um, with this whole process, like I like highlighting the wins and the losses, the, 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 the pros of a strategy as well as the cons. Um, are there mm-hmm. any cons that you guys have come across? Any, any, any lessons learned? Any, yeah, any cons to the strategy essentially? Because I want to be completely transparent to all people out there. Like, like there's, mm-hmm. there's two sides to, to every strategy. What, what have you guys noticed, if any? Oh, that's a very good question. Yeah. Go for it. No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of cons. <laughs> from an investment standpoint. Like- okay, from an investment standpoint, I think one of the cons that would um, come to mind is um, in terms of ex- existing the property, I would say for the most part, the, the con associated with that is probably the tenant buyer getting to probably live the property in good standing without probably destroying anything or out of annoyance because sometimes you have disgruntled tenants that when they leave they destroy stuff right so that will be number one thing i would say as that the common this 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 uh this tragedy mm-hmm. then also yeah. in terms of another con i would say is just like the the pandemic right so let's say we have like a pandemic 2.0 worst case scenario now one of the major things we work with when working with this strategy is we fix the future purchase price. Okay. 
So let's say we fix the future purchase price now and a pandemic 2.0 happens or a pandemic 3.0 happens, right? So now that means, let's say the property doesn't appreciate or it tanks and it goes south. That is also a potential con. Then when that happens, we will have to have a roundtable discussion with all parties involved to find a way around it and how everyone's going to exit that in a much more happy mindset. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are the two cons. But even with those two cons, I would mm -hmm. say like by really vetting our tenant buyers, we've been able to, you get to a place where you're not, you'd be very shocked if you ended up with someone who would leave a property poorly. And also yeah. with the if a pandemic happened and then the house depreciated, which I don't foresee happening in Canada with the housing shortage right now either. Yeah. The thing is, is the tenant buyers paying every month money to save up for their down payment at the end of the day. Um, they've already made this place their home. So even in those that crazy case scenario happened again, it would be very unlikely that they would that they would even want to walk away from the program. So that's even though yes they're negative with lease option, I just find it to be yeah, there's risk with every investment, but a much more safe investment strategy that allows you to really feel good about putting your money into it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, those, there's always ways, like you mentioned, there's always ways to mitigate any of those risks or, the, or those cons. And <laughs> even in the standard rental, long-term rental, short-term rental strategy, there's always those risks, right? Someone just trashing your place. Yes. Like that's always a possibility. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it can be fixed. I mean, on the short-term rental, maybe to less of a degree, but always can be fixed to like some sort of screening process right mm -hmm. to ensure that yes. you at least you at least mitigating the odds of that happening yes you know one one thing that i've noticed with regards to cons and i don't even know if this is really a con but um the the rent to own space or the, the rent to own the lease option strategy is a lot of upfront time investment with regards to tenant buyers consultations education all of that it's it's a time investment right as a, as the active investor at least you know not yeah. not the investor just investing financially but as the active investor who's managing yeah. this business it's it's a upfront time um investment mm -hmm. so less so like if you're looking at a rental like if you're going to be the active partner looking at a rental there's less of that upfront time but there's the time there's the time investment of managing it um maintenance and repairs that sort of thing spread up over the the lifespan of you holding the property and then it with a rent to own, it's a little bit on the inverse side. It's that upfront time, getting the tenant buyer, which I'm sure that's a strategy you guys use. I think most successful rent to own investors use a strategy of finding the tenant buyer and then the property versus having a property and trying to find a tenant buyer for that specific property can be a whole lot harder. I think only when yes. people are stuck in a situation where they, they need to get rid of a property and they're looking for a strategy, do they actually go that route of then trying to link a tenant buyer? But for the most part is, is that upfront time investment. Now, for, for people who aren't wanting to go ahead and do all that upfront screening, but are wanting the benefits of it all, they would essentially partner up with someone like yourselves, right? Yeah, it be exactly. less of the active investors and be more on the passive side. Now, just touching in for, for people looking to partner up with someone like yourselves, or even for investors looking to be the active partner, looking to attract people who are looking to be on the passive side. Very long-winded, I know. Um, <laughs> what, what what does that look like for you in terms of potential investors that you've worked with or that you would work with on the 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 financial partner side? Are they bringing in the money and holding the mortgage? What does it typically look like for them? 
Yeah. So for us, when we work with investors, uh, we'll do a joint ventureship and they will provide the down payment and the mortgage as well. So generally anywhere from 200,000 plus, I mean, most people in rent to own aren't getting million dollar homes, but yeah. um, a mortgage, a decent yeah. mortgage, and then uh, the down payment as well as uh, closing costs for when we first buy the property. However, then what happens is our tenant buyer gives us what's called an initial option consideration, which is basically savings towards the house. So what happens is that money when we close the property is given back to the investor to start paying off those funds as though the tenant buyer is paying them towards their savings. So even though they bring that money up front, you get some of it back as soon as the property closes as well. Exactly. So they, they in for a whole lot less. Um, tell me, quick question. Have you guys ever partnered up with a financial partner where they provided the funds in the form of like RRSPs through like Olympia Trust or is it always just the more conventional side of it all? Yeah, so right now we haven't worked with any JV partner that uh, provided us with RSPs. However, we are definitely open to working with that option. But for the most part, all the partners we work with have the 20% the down payment vested mm -hmm. in the account for 90 days yeah. and just the access to mortgage. So that's that's the most part. And just to, to double down on that, we when looking to look for partner when looking for partners. There are two kinds of partners we often always come across. Come across those that want to do this under their personal name or under a corporation. Mm. Now, from a financing point of view, we would we always prefer to work with people that do it from a personal point of view because the interest the interest rates associated with personal mortgage is way lower than the corporation. However, we always yes. still work with partners that want to do it under the corporation because it's it's always a, a win-win for everyone. But the most important thing is trying to see how the numbers can work well for everyone because of the, the current high interest rates, right? So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Thanks for highlighting that, by the way. Um, this it's it's a lot of management like just breaking down this whole process like there's a lot that you guys do right because it's it's managing the tenant buyers it's managing the investors side it's it's the property side there's there's a lot that you bring together i'm sure i'm sure in the current day and age that we're in there's a lot of tools and technology that you rely heavily upon what would be those like non-negotiables that you guys have implemented into your mm -hmm like systems into your business that you sort of rely on. I take it the first and most important one would probably be a CRM, right? Um, so that you can actually nurture those tenant buyers. Is there, are there anything else? I know like for Airbnb short-term rentals, there's a ton of different tools that you can use. On the rent owned space, what do you guys use? Yeah, so from my end, I would say the first thing, the first tools that I would say are very important uh, would be social media tools when looking to attract potential JV partners and because you have to leverage social media to build your personal brand and all whatnot. So I'll say tools like LinkedIn, Facebook, those are things that would help with the branding side of the business. And also just to add to that, because of um for the social media, I love a tool called Buffer. So what Buffer does is it allows you to create your posts ahead of time and schedule them to go out every day of the week. So you don't have to be there on your screen every day posting. You can schedule uh, it so then it automatically goes out and you can make sure it goes out at the prime posting time so they can get the most engagement and things like that. Um, 
Facebook, we love Facebook ads. <laughs> it's like a great place to market. There's a lot of different ways and different tools on there to be able to edit the ads and try targeting in different ways and fashions. So I'm always playing around with that to try to find the best, the best method possible. Um, Canva. <laughs> Canva is yeah. very handy tool. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah, that would probably be it on the CRM for sure. Yeah. Then uh, if I'm to add to it, I would say in terms of lead generation, we have a software we use called Lead Swift where we used to generate our um, leads when looking to speak with potential, when looking to build a referral system through mortgage brokers and private through realtors. So we use that to generate lists that we actually use for our cold outreach. So that would be a lead generation tool we use. Then I think the, the last one on the social media side of things, I would say would be VDR. It's more like a video, video tool. You could create short video clips so for example, if we're talking to a tenant buyer that um, is needing a quick response and we just want to put our face behind the response, we can always send a quick video and send that link across to them so that they can watch the video while we're explaining whatever we're trying to explain, right? So those will be, uh, I think... What, what's that called? VDR, V-I-D-Y-A-R-D, VDR. And what differentiates differentiates that from? Is that is that like a way that you could text them the video versus? Because I know like you could send a you could send a DM with a video, you could send a WhatsApp messenger, um, sort of a video over WhatsApp over Facebook Messenger over WhatsApp, like all those different platforms. Is this a way that you could text a video to them? Yeah, you email the video to them. Then also the advantage is you can also share your screen. You could um, have like half of the screen, your face, half of the screen the material you're trying to explain. So it just puts the face and the, the material on the same screen at the same time. So it just makes it more easy to, to navigate. Yeah, that's the main differentiator. I love that. I'm always intrigued in like different tools, different systems in this AI day and age in terms of just making <laughs> life a whole lot easier for us. You know? <laughs> um, okay, no, no, I, I love that. So tell me, you guys have done quite a bit now up until this point i'm sure you've had a lot of lessons learned and refined your process to prevent to prevent those mistakes from happening again or even mistakes but like potential things that could go wrong you know just better ways to protect yourself better ways to implement things what are the most significant lessons that you've learned to date that you could share with the audience um one i would say and maybe not significant just ones that stand out really yeah yeah what i would say would be to make sure you ask for a police report early enough on uh we went through a situation where we went through the whole process with someone and we were waiting for the police report and we asked them for it and they were kept telling us they provide it and at the end it turned out that they had quite the past when we pushed for them to mm. send it to us they just disappeared <laughs> so that would be definitely one. So now we ask for the police report up front. We always ask for one. We just made sure we got it during the process, but now it's up front. We ask for one yeah. before you start looking for a house. Yeah. Then for me, in terms of like that, um, save yourself all that time that you invest in, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Then also on the on the investor side of things, I would say one of the lessons we've learned is um, real estate is is literally about people literally people first. Yeah. So when you're looking to 
work with potential partners, we always try to have, we, we learn the hard way that you need to really get to understand who you're looking to work with, build a relationship with them, and understand if you're willing to get into that contractual marriage with mm -hmm. the potential partner, right? Mm -hmm. So that is something we understand. So that's why we, yes, we take time to really get to know people and make sure these are the people we actually want to work with for the duration yeah. of the, the rent on period. Mm -hmm. That's another lesson. Then another lesson I would say we've learned the hard way is in, in terms of expectations, managing expectations on the tenant buyer side. So for the most part, most tenant buyers have not really gone through the home buying process before, right? So they come in with a very high expectation of, okay, I want this house, I put an offer, I get it right away. It doesn't always work. That's textbook, yeah. right? But they, they, they have yeah. to understand that, okay, you put an offer, you have five more people putting the same offer, and at the end of the day, they always go the highest price, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to, we, we found out that we always had to go back, explain, apologize, mm -hmm. and um, more like, more, most, most of the partners, try to pet them literally because they were really upset at some points because um, that's what they, they came in with a very high expectation and we didn't manage that upfront. So that's one of the, the mistakes I would say we also have learned on the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Managing expectations from the early stage. Yes. I think in any, any business, any, any service that you're offering, managing expectations is crucial. It's crucial. And I think that only comes with experience. It can't be bypassed any other way, really. Um, but yeah, if you manage the expectation, it makes the, the, the process a whole lot easier for all the parties involved oh, yeah. versus having mm -hmm. people be just completely disappointed because the expectations mm -hmm. weren't, weren't set, right? And then yeah. to touch on your previous one is absolutely, you have to make sure that things align with you and the potential joint venture partner because it is a financial marriage. And, yes. you know, as much as you want to chase, let's get a good return, let's help people, let's build wealth. Is it worth the expense of having been stuck in a terrible relationship with someone who doesn't share yes. the same goals as you, someone who's not on the same wavelength as you? So no, I fully, fully, fully get those. Those are some great points. I hope people have listened all the way to the end because those are like really some golden yeah. nuggets. Um, I feel like you guys could just mic drop right now. Um, <laughs> what I what I do want <laughs> what I do want to do is um transition into like my favorite part of the show. So the segment's okay. called Time Capsule. Nicola, Nicholas, Olivia, let's just imagine that you've stumbled across a time machine. Now, this year, I've never really done with two people at a, at a time. So you could either both answer each question. So there's two parts of the question. You could either both answer okay. it or you guys could answer one each. Completely up okay. to you guys. Okay. okay. Um, so let's imagine you've come across a time machine. It allows you to travel back at fourth in time. You can't change anything, okay? But you can give and receive advice from your younger or older self. Mm -hmm. Now, first, let's go back to when you were 18 years old. What advice would you give your younger self with the knowledge you have now? And this can be business, investing, <laughs> personal, familial, or just combination of them all. The first advice I would have given my 18-year-old self with the knowledge I have now would be, Nicholas, look for a successful person within the real estate investing space or someone that is successful enough that I admire the lifestyle they live and um, work with them for free. Offer to work mm -hmm. with them for free at that young age. Oh, right? I love because, that. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe 
I will definitely get tons of value while learning lots I, at, at the very young age. Yeah. I thought you were yeah. going to say, Nicholas, go and track down Olivia now. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, no, I love that. I love that because the the learning is way, way, way more beneficial than the earning at that stage, right? The the amount of education you're taking in is going to serve you way, way more than any any job that you could do, anything that you could get into and get a return on your time. Um, I love that. That is fantastic advice. Okay, so then, Olivia, I don't know if you want to grab this one, if you want to grab the next one. Uh, I'll... <laughs> So I would tell myself to probably to take take things more seriously uh, instead of living my 20s have fun to actually start looking into investing and stuff earlier to start investing earlier not looking into it to actually start because I would have really appreciated starting earlier and also to really my dad does stock investments to, to have really spent time with him learning how the stock market works as well would have been a great piece of advice to give myself. So I would have probably told myself that just to start. <laughs> Absolutely. Cause there's that compounding effect over time, right? Yeah, um, it's exactly, not just a yeah. linear growth. It's, 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 mm -hmm. it's, it's exponential. So I think for a lot of people that tends to be like the common denominator is get started a whole lot sooner, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, especially yeah. once they see the power of real estate investing um, yes. and the wealth that's built in like the time that's, that's where it's built, right? Is over time. Yeah. Um, okay. So now let's jump ahead to your 80th birthday. Okay. What advice do you imagine your future self would offer you at your present age? So, so looking ahead at your 80th birthday. So, so you, you jumping ahead, you, you meeting your future, future Nicholas, oh, yeah. 80 year old okay. Nicholas, right? You run into him and, and he's got some advice for you. What, what advice do you, do you suspect he'd give you? For myself, I would say the first advice I'll give the younger Nicholas, as an 80 year old man that I am right now. To give you the advice now. Sorry? To give you advice right now. More like 80 year old Nicholas giving the young Nicholas, right? No, you. Like now. me, yeah, I'm sorry. Not, not the 18 year old. Yeah, I'm thing. young, yeah. No, you're young. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So, <laughs> yeah, so the, the advice I give myself, the advice I give myself would be number one, fail fast feel often <laughs> and enjoy the process yeah. feel fast feel often and enjoy the process because life is a journey and not a destination and what makes it memorable are the ups and downs that you wholly or wholeheartedly embrace that's advice i'll give myself i love that I love that. It's easy to just keep chasing the next, the next goal, the next goal, and and just forget about enjoying the actual journey. I'm gonna call you up next week. How many times have you failed? Check it out, you. I love you. Any? I would think my eight-year-old self would tell me probably uh, to make sure that I do the things that make my soul the happiest, and to probably just to keep traveling. <laughs> I love that though. Cause, and, and in both of your answers is, is you, I, 
I would believe at least when you at when you're at that age, the the advice tends to be a little less on the financial side and a little more yeah. on the the fulfillment side, right, of life, yeah. um, and enjoying enjoying the years that you have ahead and, and, and you're present. And when you're giving yourself advice to like your 18 year old self, it's always like, you know, like, come on, like, let's, let's, yeah. let's plan let's for, uh, let's, let's walk towards, you know, uh, a good, a good future. So no, I, I, yeah. I love both perspectives because I find there's a nice um, balance between the two that we can try and implement in our current selves. Yes. So I'm always eager to hear everyone's answers on that. It's always fun. Um, <laughs> Now, now I'm sure up to this point, people that have listened are like, you know what? I want to follow. I want to follow this this couple. I I I like what they have to say, or maybe I even want to partner up with them. Where can people find out more about you? Now, for everyone listening, I will be sure to leave all their information, all their links mm -hmm. in the description. But where's like the best place for people to reach out to you guys? So you can check out our company on Instagram and Facebook. It's uh, royalrouge.properties on Instagram and Facebook, or you can reach out to me on Instagram. My Instagram is Liv's Barber, um, and then Nicholas probably best on Facebook. On, on LinkedIn, and um, both Nicholas Opera on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And also our, our website will be probably www.royalrouge.properties.com. And then you can always send us a message there to contact us for. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on and providing a ton of value. Um, I always learn something on these episodes, every single one. And this was really, really fun. So I, I hope to have you guys again in the future. Really nice. Awesome. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Building Wealth Through Real Estate. If you're interested in learning how to get started in real estate, but you don't want to fall into the trap of analysis paralysis or becoming a professional learner, then you absolutely want to check out my interview with Mitch Binding. This is your host, Alray Noble, signing off. <laughs>